Dean Martin and Frank Sinatra. That's why these are still my favorite Christmas songs to this day. That's what we like to listen to around my house. And I remember at my grandparents' house, they had one of these um, you know, console TV record player combo things all the time. My grandma would be in the kitchen making all kinds of cookies and different things like that. But my favorite part was coming downstairs Christmas morning, and there would be the, the, the Christmas tree over in the corner, and this huge panoramic, it was probably smaller than, than, than I remember it, because I was little, right? Things work out that way. But this huge panoramic window, sliding glass door to, to the patio that was just blanketed in snow, you know? It had like this little, this little uh, bench swing that was framed out by this, this fence where my, my grandma's rose bushes and things were, and of course they were all dead, but they were covered in snow. It looked absolutely beautiful, just magical, you know? And I, I, I love that, especially being a kid who, who was born in Florida, lived in Florida at the time, and I've and, uh, lived in the South most of my life, so I just, these white Christmases bring back wonderful memories. And some of y'all I know are our friends who moved here from Jersey, you're like, keep it, keep the snow, right? But um, I remember those things. The, the best part of Christmas, though, is not looking back at the memories, it's looking forward to it every year. Looking forward to it every year, that's the excitement and the, and the build-up and the anticipation. That, that's what joy is. We're going to talk about that this morning. Joy is on the way, is the, is the title of the sermon. Joy is not just something that we experience when it arrives. We experience it as we anticipate its arrival. It's, it's not something we, we have to wait for. It's something we have already in the waiting. And we'll talk more about that in just a minute, but first let's read Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 45, that's printed for you in your bulletin if you don't have a copy of God's word with you. And as I read, listen out for who this joy comes from and what the joy is over. Because maybe you don't have fond memories of Christmas or you're not feeling particularly joyful this time of year. My prayer for you is that changes today. Let's read. Now hear the words of the one true and living God. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. 
And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. That's the word of God. Father in heaven, as we uh, dive into your word this morning, Lord, I just pray that you would completely move me out of the way, that you would speak from your word to your people, that they would hear, that they would listen and obey, that they would follow you, that their trust would be in you and you alone. God, that you would prevent my mouth from error, help me to speak what is true, and God, prevent me from, from leading anyone astray. God, I ask all this earnestly. In the name of your son, Jesus, amen. <clears throat> so, let's talk about joy, where it comes from, so we can get this, this Christmas thing right. Joy, defined, is a great delight or happiness caused by something exceptionally good or satisfying. I think that's right. But, but what's, the, what's the something? What's the something that's exceptionally good and satisfying. Can it be anything? I don't think so. Because nothing really satisfies ultimately. Every pleasure is fleeting. You know, if that weren't true, we wouldn't have to keep going back for the thing that gave us pleasure in the first place to get more of it, right? You can't eat your favorite meal once and remain satisfied. You, you, you'll get hungry again. Your marriage won't last on the night of the honeymoon alone, right? That tank has to be refilled. Genuine joy and how it differs from even extreme happiness is it's something that's not dependent on our circumstances. It's not dependent on happenings, but on a person who is so constant that no matter what is happening, we can experience an unshakable and inexhaustible joy that never runs out. Joy is not satisfaction in a moment. It's satisfaction in the moment, whatever the moment. And the only way that that is possible, and we can tell from the passage, is by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the only way that's possible. A good biblical definition of joy is a feeling of good pleasure and happiness that is dependent on who Jesus is and not on who we are or what's happening around us. It's the kind of joy that doesn't begin to wane right after the presents are opened and the toys begin to break and the in-laws start getting on your nerves, right? Genuine joy doesn't have a come down. Genuine joy comes from the Holy Spirit, abiding in God's presence and, and a hope from his word. And so joy... Is, is longing perpetually fulfilled. There's, it, it's this constant happy aching. Does that make sense? You know, because I mean, if, you, if you're happy, you're just happy, right? Until you're not anymore. It's a fleeting emotion. Joy is longing. There's an element of anticipation to it. In other words, joy is really found in the desire itself and not just in the fulfillment of the desire. 
It's a, it's a desire to know and appreciate God whose mysteries are vast and limitless. You guys know those, uh, those Russian nesting dolls? You know what I'm talking about? You got like the big one, you open it up, and you pull out the smaller one. You open it up, and there's a smaller one in it. And you, you just keep going and going, it gets smaller and smaller. Well, it's like that, but in, in reverse, right? It, every step closer you take to God, and every little mystery you unravel exposes a bigger and bigger one. And it just keeps getting bigger and bigger. And you, you, you ask yourself, like, how, how big does it get? And the answer is it never stops. The, more, the, the closer you move toward God and the, the more you, you lean into him and his word, the more he's revealing about himself and he just continues to blow your mind over and over and over again. That's how God is. And the only way that you can get bored with him and lose your joy is if you stop longing. That's it. As, when you stop chasing Jesus and start chasing joy, joy begins to leave you. It tends to follow you around when you are chasing Jesus. As Christians who have the spirit of the living God dwelling in us, whose fruit includes joy, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. As Christians who have the spirit of God living in us, whose fruit includes joy, we can experience that happy, aching, longing desire constantly. Now, I want to get out in front of some objections here. I know some of you are thinking, uh, yeah, you can't, you can't be joyful all the time. Yes, you can. And you say, I, you know, I get it, Josh. I know what you're trying to do. I know you're, you're preaching, and we're supposed to have this, like, joy thing going on. Like, I understand what you're trying to do, but that's just not realistic. Oh, ye of little faith. I want to talk about that. We'll talk about why it's hard for us to experience this kind of joy on the regular. We'll get into that. And by the way, don't follow me around this week to see if I'm joyful 24-7. I won't be. But just because I won't be doesn't mean I can't be. I can. Because I have the Holy Spirit. I was made for it. I was made for that enjoyment. And I have the Holy Spirit who supplies it and he never runs out. So the other objection I want to address is this notion that only Christians can experience this kind of joy. Is that what you're telling me? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. I'm comfortable with that. Because joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. If you don't have him, you can't have it. You can have something you call joy, but it'll be a counterfeit, and it'll let you down. It will disappoint you. Genuine joy isn't something you chase after. It's something that follows you when you're chasing after Jesus. You want joy? Stop chasing after moments you think will afford it to you and chase after Jesus who can and will supply it to you in greater measure than you could ever hope. Three quick points for you this morning. And I do mean quick. I'm told the past few messages have, have run a little long and so I'm not trying to remedy that by making this message shorter this morning, it just so happens that it is. So three quick points for you this morning. First point is joy is independent of your circumstances. And we'll talk about some of the things that can rob joy in your life. The second point is joy begets obedience. We'll see that mainly in Mary's response to the news she received 
from the angel Gabriel. And point number three, how you can experience genuine joy. Joy is independent of your circumstances. We'll spend the most time on this point because I think it's the one that we need the most convincing of. That we need help believing is that joy is not dependent on our circumstances. What were Mary's circumstances? Small town. People talk, right? She's pregnant. And she's not married. You know, she says, I, you know, I'm pregnant, but I never slept, I never slept with anyone. Now, if I'm Joseph, I'm like, come again? Say what? Who, who's the father? God. And speaking of fathers, she has to tell, what would her daddy say? I mean, this is, this is some spicy Christmas family drama right here. Mary appears to be joyful, but the source of her joy isn't in her circumstances. She was afraid, but she trusted God and longed to see what he would do. Verse 29 says, the, the, the angel says, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Now notice Mary didn't say, Oh, good, how nice. It says she was greatly troubled. You get, we, we gloss over passages like this in Scripture all the time where, we, you know, when an angel appears to, to people in Scripture, their response is not, oh, how cute, precious little cherub baby angel, just want to pinch your cheeks. No. Every time an angel appears to man, they are terrified. I mean, these are the warriors of heaven. Angels struck fear in the hearts of men. Mary's afraid. The angel tells her not to be afraid. Why? Because she is. And tells her she's going to have a son, and he is the Messiah everyone's been waiting on. Now, let, let, time out real quick, just so we can, we can catch something real quick. Ha, raise your hand. How many of you don't mind marking in your Bibles, writing, making notes, and stuff like that? Me neither. Like, I don't have any problem with doing that. I mark mine up all the time. If, if you don't have your Bible with you, remember, do this later at home. Maybe you already have. But go to that page... Go to that page that separates the Old Testament from the New Testament, that blank page, the one that says New Testament, and just put dot, 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 400 years later. That thin little page marks a, a, a massive span of time. That's important to catch. For 400 years, y'all, God had been silent. God's people were left on the edges of their seats, knowing that there was supposed to be this king that would come and sit on David's throne and bring peace to the earth and reverse the curse of sin and its grip on creation. And Gabriel tells Mary, yeah, that guy, he's on the way. She's like, where? He's like, your womb. The Lord will give to him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end verse 32 and 33 that's a little terrifying if we're honest Mary's afraid and confused and says verse 34 how will this be since I'm a virgin Gabriel's reply is the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you 
that's comforting. I mean, let's get serious for a minute. We, we, know, we know the end from the beginning when we read this, right? She didn't. That, that, that sounds a little scary, a little ominous, does it not? And her circumstances aren't exactly bringing about the joy. But here's what does. She is willing to accept what God has planned for her. She's willing to accept what God has planned for her. And the result is her joy. Verse 38, she says, let it be done to me according to your word. Joy isn't dependent on your circumstances. It's dependent on God who does everything perfectly. If your posture toward the providence of God in your life, right? Because he, he brings those seasons, whatever they may be, good ones, bad ones, happy ones, sad ones. If your posture toward the providence of God in your life is distrust and fear and your first reaction is to flee, you will panic. If your posture is one of humility and trust and you pursue him, you'll be excited to see what happens next. And that will bring you joy. It's not something that you chase after. It's something that follows you as you chase after Jesus. I said we'd identify some things that tend to rob us of joy and talk about why we have a hard time experiencing joy. What are some of those things? What, what are things that rob joy in our lives? I think if I had a whiteboard up here and I, I let you guys take turns, we could fill it up with things, right? But the two biggest ones are anxiety and resentment. I think those are the two biggest things that rob us from joy. And a lot of those other things, you might come right on that imaginary whiteboard, could probably be filed under one of those two headings. Anxiety and, resent and resentment. Anxiety in the heart of man weighs it down. Proverbs 12, 25. Who knows the rest of that verse? What's the rest of that verse? But a good word makes it glad. Anxiety in the heart of man weighs it down, but a good word makes it glad. You know, the benediction at the end of every service when Matt sends everybody out with, with a blessing from the Lord, right? You know, you know what that word benediction means? It means good word. That's what it literally means, good word. You know why we do that in church every single Sunday? Because we need the reminder every week that even though our circumstances might be awful, we rest in the arms of a living Savior who has redeemed us and is making all things new. Joy is our response to that good word. It makes heavy hearts, it makes anxious hearts glad. Resentment's another joy killer. Resentment is something that's interesting because we, we choose it. It's, it's fascinating to me as, as, I, as I think about this. It's, we choose to, to torture ourselves by being resentful. It just, it's just, it's the most... It's the most crazy thing. It's something we choose to justify in ourselves. We justify our misery and our, and our anger and our bitterness. Why? Because they deserve it. They, they deserve that. For you to make yourself miserable? That's, that doesn't seem like a, a winning strategy. I mean, that, that doesn't make any sense, right? What it will do, though, is keep joy far from you. 
Resentment will keep joy far from you. You think about Joseph in this, in this picture. There's more about him in Matthew. He, he, could have been, he could have been bitter and resentful in this situation. God didn't bring him in on the conversation he had with Mary, right? He didn't hear this from Gabriel's lips like Mary did. He's, he's getting it secondhand and has to take her word for it. You think maybe God did that on purpose? You think maybe there was something he was working on in Joseph that needed to, needed to be prepared for what he was calling him to do? I think probably so. We know he had his doubts. Again, in Matthew, we see he, he was planning on quietly calling off the wedding. That's what his plan was. At least he wasn't going to like publicly shame her and like have her stoned or something, right? But he had his doubts. This wasn't happy news for Joseph. The funny thing about resentment, though, and bitterness is that it literally doesn't change anything. It never does. It, Joseph could have been bitter. He could have chosen to be bitter. He could have been justified in his bitterness and his resentment over his circumstances. Mary still would have been pregnant. Being resentful won't change the past or take away the pain. You know what will? Joy. You can't have it and hold on to your bitterness, though. There's got to be a choice there. And, you know, you may, you may be uh, harboring some bitterness and some resentment for somebody. Somebody may come to mind now as I'm talking to you about this, and you're like, yeah, but they don't count, right? They don't deserve forgiveness. You don't know what they did. You don't deserve forgiveness either. And you got it if you're in Christ. You've sinned against a holy and righteous judge. And he doesn't pardon guilty people. And there are no innocent people, by the way. Sins aren't oopsie daisies either. Everyone is a capital offense, deserving of the death penalty. That death penalty that you deserve. God came down. He, it wasn't plea bargained down. It wasn't, it wasn't something that he just, just lessened the charges. He himself took on flesh and stood in your place on this earth so that the judgment for your sin could fall down on him. He paid a debt you cannot afford to repay in a hundred lifetimes. And you have not done one thing in all of your life to deserve it. Not one. Not on your best day. So be careful with who's deserving of forgiveness. And, and, and holding that bitterness and resentment in your heart against them, you've got to let that go. You have to be able to see that joy over that fact. That Christ was willing to do that for you. That helps us get over the little hurts that we suffer from others in this life. And even the biggest ones really. Let go of that resentment. It's only hurting you and robbing you of the joy and the peace and the satisfaction that is found in the gospel, the good news that I've just given you, that Jesus came and died in the place of undeserving sinners, like all of us in this room. Joseph evidently lets go of the hurt. He's not sure Mary even deserves it, but instead of freaking out, shaming her, having her stoned, so on and so forth, he lets it go. And then he gets to share in the blessing. He gets let in on the joy. He gets to raise God's only son. 
The angel comes to him and assures him in Matthew, no, seriously, Joseph, your fiance is carrying the promised Messiah in, in her belly. Uh, Joseph, I don't know how to tell you this, but uh, your, your, your heavenly father has appointed you to be your Lord's earthly father. I've hinted at this already, but there's a difference between joy and happiness, right? Happiness is dependent on circumstances. Joy is dependent on God. Joy, genuine joy, isn't like happy, clappy, Hallmark movie happy, right? It's, it's, it's knowing you rest in the arms of the living Savior no matter your circumstance. Joy doesn't get drowned out by the noise of the world. It, it, it hears the song of redemption being sung by all of creation. And it longs for what is certain. It, it, that everything sad about the world is coming untrue because God took on flesh and broke into the world to redeem it. And it's not over yet. We're, we're not there yet. And while we wait, we rejoice that all of the evils of the world are being put under his feet. That every enemy will be destroyed and the last enemy is death itself. I, I would argue the reason that we don't feel joyful most of the time is because we don't meditate on that fact. And this is what I mean when I talk about you know, chasing after Jesus, right? When, when, we're, when we're diving into his word, when we're exploring who, it, who he is, we're taking off all those layers like the little Russian nesting dolls thing and finding it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and we're blown away. The only time we stop being blown away is when we stop longing, when we stop chasing. Being reminded of this fact, this is true, y'all. This is what we're celebrating this Christmas season. He took on flesh to redeem the world that was lost. And I know it doesn't feel like it all the time. I know winning feels like losing. But what we know is true and what we hope and what we believe is that we rejoice that the evils of this world will be put under his feet finally and the last enemy to be destroyed is death itself. Joy to the world. Joy can't be found in a fallen and fragile world and the stuff of the world. It can only be found in your unchangeable status with an unchangeable God. Joy's dependent on the creator of all things and not on the things that he has created. That is and should be a joy that the world can't touch. Second point, joy begets obedience. Joy doesn't come from your circumstances and it doesn't come from your performance either. It comes from God's performance. It doesn't come from my obedience. It comes from Christ's obedience. The fact that before I got my act together, God loved me. That while I was an enemy of God, Jesus shed his own blood for me. That even though I'm unworthy and I'm unworthy still, Jesus says he will never leave me. That's what motivates obedience. Joy over knowing that even though I'm undeserving, I'm going to inherit the riches of the kingdom of God because they belong to my Savior and he promises to share them with me. Joy energizes obedience. You think about Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. I know Foster loves this verse, uh, prays it often. I, I, I love hearing it. Let us run 
with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and seated at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy that was set before him. Jesus knew he was about to endure the cross. And you read about when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, He didn't have joy in his circumstances. He had joy in his accomplishments. And we should too. We should have joy in Jesus' accomplishments. Here's what we learn from Christ's example in, in Hebrews 12. He obediently went to the cross for the joy set before him. Joy is what moved him to obedience. Obedience didn't move him to joy. He he didn't obey in order that he might be joyful. He obeyed because he rejoiced in knowing that the Father's plan of redemption was being fulfilled in what he was doing. It was about to happen. Redemption accomplished and applied. And his joy over that fact is what motivated his obedience. Y'all, joy makes us ready for action. Joy makes us ready for action. Fear depresses and overwhelms us. It tempts us to flee when we should pursue. It disables us. It convinces us that we must know better than God regarding our lives. And so we're tempted to turn around and run the other way. And what that does is it makes us worthless to ourselves and others. Joy exhilarates and moves us forward, closer to God and closer to others. Joy begets obedience. And obedience to what? But God's law. How does Jesus sum up God's law? Love God, love neighbor. Joy motivates us to do that. You can ex- how you can experience genuine joy, this is my last point. Joy, y'all, is what you were made for. That's not hyperbole. That's, that's, that's gospel fact. You were made for it. It's not just some aspect of the human experience. It is what you were made for, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Joy isn't just a momentary, happy, clappy emotion. It's a deep-seated trust, reliance, and belief in the Lord. You were designed to run on that fuel. John the Baptist had it in his mother's womb. Do you see that? Verse 40. When his mom Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, who was carrying Jesus in her belly, he leapt with joy. He knew joy was on the way. That joy is what he was made for. It's what you were made for. And it has been restored to you and is available to you, even in the midst of pain and uncertainty, because Jesus came and lived and died, was buried and was raised and is seated on his throne in heaven. It's available to you right now and in every moment. It's not a matter of whether you can be joyful in any circumstance. It's whether you want to. It's whether you want to. Whether you prefer the contentment offered to you in Christ or you prefer to hold on to the pain and the grief and the strife that you think makes you feel alive. You know anybody like that? They just kind of thrive on the strife 
always a victim, you know, if it weren't for having some struggle, some drama, something to complain about or lament over, they just wouldn't feel alive. That comes from discontentment and a strong sense of entitlement. The secret to having joy is contentment. The secret to having joy is having the Holy Spirit who gives you the contentment so that you can have the joy. But a sense of entitlement will rob you of joy because as long as you're looking at what everybody else has or how swell things seem to be going for them and you start thinking, I ought to have that because I'm better than so on and so forth, you will miss what you have been given already because of who Jesus is. I could say a lot more about how to find joy. The Lord was gracious to me this week and blessed me with more notes and thoughts and and convictions about this in my life than I can share with you here, probably because I was in short supply myself. These sermons get preached to me before they get preached to you. I tried, I struggled, y'all, to narrow it all down and file it down into a point. But here it is. Here's joy. This is not as good as it gets. The hope we have is based on something that has already happened and that will be greater. And that assurance gives you a longing worth having. It's a deep desire for satisfaction. A deep longing and desire for satisfaction. A thirst we all know and recognize cannot be quenched by anything in this world and never will be. That longing, that desire, it's a promise that will be quenched. It's guaranteed because of what Christ has accomplished. I have it already, but I want more of it. I I, I want it because I know it exists, first of all. can't desire things that don't exist. That longing and desire that's in you, it, it should be ringing alarm bells in your mind that it's out there somewhere. That longing, I know I will have it. I get to live knowing that I will have it. You follow me? That's a, that's a longing, a constant, happy aching that motivates me to faithful obedience and gives me joy no matter the circumstance. If your joy is in short supply this Christmas season, you need help from heaven to get it. And friends, that's what was born in that manger. Help from heaven. Here's, what, here's where you can find joy this Christmas season. You won't find it in stores. You won't find it on TV. You won't find it wrapped in a pretty red bow. You'll find it wrapped in a manger, nailed to a cross, risen from a tomb, and seated on his throne. That's where you find it. Believing there will be a fulfillment of what God has promised, no matter how silent he seems to have been in your life. That's what Elizabeth says in verse 45. Blessed is she, Mary, who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. God has spoken, and this is what he has said. This is not as good as it gets. Behold, I am making all things new. And you get to live your life knowing and expecting and looking forward to that. 
with a happy aching in anticipation. If you know you've chased joy around and have gotten nowhere, you haven't found it, because you've been pursuing the whole thing, the, the whole thing the wrong way. You've been chasing after the wrong thing. You can't seem to get your hands on it. And every time you do, it slips, because you're confusing happiness with joy, which kind of joy. Pursue Jesus, long for him and for his word and for his will for your life and the life of those around you and for his world that he created and that he is redeeming for his glory. You chase after that and joy will follow you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, God, thank you for sending your son born of a woman, took on flesh, lived the life that you made for us to live, that we refused to, rebelled against you, and then stood in our place to take the punishment for our rebellion. What amazing grace. God, we want to be faithful. We want to be obedient to your word. And a lot of times we just, try to, we just try to do it in our own strength. That looks like legalism. That looks like what the Pharisees did. And it's exhausting and burns us out. And it's unattractive to the people that you're trying to call to yourself. God, motivate us with joy. A joy over the fact of, of who you are, what you have done on behalf of sinners like us, and all that you are accomplishing in the world for your glory. Help us to have a a desire to, to lean in, to move in, to investigate, to inquire, to know you. God, we know we will never be disappointed with what we find. So God, do all this for your namesake, for your glory, for our good, we ask in Jesus' name.